you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, a JC softball team. As long as, you know... Uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. As we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy. Hey, so we like to have a lot of fun on this show, but obviously we got to start up the top here with the biggest news in the SEC this week. Unfortunate, you know, we never want to start with news like this, but uh, we've all seen it by now. Legendary Auburn coach Pat Dye died this week at the age of 80, and then here on Wednesday morning, Johnny Majors also passed, so just mm-hmm. just when things are looking like at their worst, I mean, but my goodness, we get dropped <laughs> with some more bad news. Let's, uh, you know, we'll get to both of these, but I think first let's start with uh, Pat Dye. Yeah, he's a guy that uh, obviously was before our time, so never really got to see much of him coach. We all seen the highlights of his time and everything, and I've even read. I really recommend any uh, Paul Feinbaum fans out there. I've got a book called The Worst of Paul Feinbaum, (laughs) and it's all his critical comments from these coaches when he was covering these teams. And my goodness, he would go at Pat Dye like no other. You'd think he'd hate the man, but you just see, you know, and as the years come, their friendship grow, and you see uh, what an outstanding guy Pat Dye was. And unfortunately, after his he passed I got to learn a lot more about him and he's such a popular figure there on the plains a lot of people think he's you know the best Auburn coach in modern history and and I can't disagree with that and a big reason why former Alabama assistant under Bear Bryant he was the one that ended the streak in the Iron Bowl I believe the streak was at eight when Pat Dye was hired mm-hmm. the following year, the second year, they broke the streak. It got up to nine games. That's the longest streak Alabama has in the Iron Bowl, broken by Pat Dye. And one of my favorite Pat Dye quotes, as soon as he got hired at Auburn, that's what he was asked. How long is it going to take to beat Alabama? And you know what he said, Shane? <laughs> what did he say? 60 minutes. 
<laughs> and that's just the type of guy Pat Dye was, and that's why uh, you know he turned that rivalry against the great Bear Bryant. I know it was the end of Bear Bryant's tenure there at Alabama, but former Bear Bryant assistant, proud Georgia grad, but mm-hmm. he became an Auburn man uh, when he was hired there and uh, never won the national championship, but won several SEC titles and was even robbed, a lot of people think, of uh, I believe it was the 1983 title, lost mm-hmm. one game. Number one team in the nation lost in the in the bowls. I believe his number two team lost in the bowls. Auburn was number three. They won their bowl game, but for some damn reason, they gave the title to the number five team. So, mm. man, Auburn got robbed of that one. But uh, what are your thoughts on the passing of Pat Dye? Yeah, it's same thing. Early '80s. You know, obviously, I didn't get to see him coach that much, but you know, I think. I think one thing about Pat Dye was the influences he had even after his coaching. You know, um, if you think of the game like the Iron Bowl, you know, I was reading somewhere, you know, Pat Dye was an influential reason why the Iron Bowl would bounce back and forth. It used to just be held in out in uh, Birmingham, I believe, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, so it's not just an advantage to Alabama. I mean, think about all the Iron Bowls that you've seen in the past and how many of those great Auburn wins that you saw and they were given at home. You know what I'm saying? That could have went a different way if if Pat Dye didn't do what he did. Um, he was all for Auburn, man. I mean, another article I read, this just shows you how much he loved this university. When he passed, okay, when he was getting buried, uh, all he asked was to be laid this is this is an article USA Today. All that he requested was to be laid in rest in a white shroud. I want to fertilize this tree. Apparently, Pat Dye had gotten a, a, a cutting from the the famous Tumors Corner. Remember the one that was poisoned? Mm-hmm. And he has nurtured this thing to it's now at a height of fifteen feet. So you got to think of this, Coach Dye took a piece of a tree that was dying there in Tumor's Corner, went home and babied it until it was growing. And now it's up 15 feet. All he wanted was to be not, he doesn't want a casket or anything. He wanted just a shroud over him so he could fertilize that tree. So if you ever go out to that tree, you could think of him because he says his spirit will be around there. So, I mean, that's just, that just shows you the kind of guy he is and how much he loved his university. You know what I'm saying? Little stories like that are coming out. Yeah, and, you know, we love the SEC. That Obviously, we got a damn podcast dedicated to it, but it's almost like those days are behind us, you know? And, I mean, yeah. I think Nick Saban, you know, he'll always be remembered. I know he was there at LSU and, and other schools, but he'll always be remembered as Alabama's coach. But, unfortunately, just the modern era – you know, you just, I don't think you're going to get many coaches, I guess, that are synonymous with their school and love their school. Mm-hmm. And my God, I want to be buried under one of the tumors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. This just, just goes to show what a legend Pat Dye is always going to be, um, even, you know, when his life is over. I mean, he's always mm-hmm. going to be known as an Auburn man. And how about this, Dad? I also wanted to mention this. this there's a very short list here, all time. SEC has been around over 100 years. These are the coaches that have won the SEC three times in a row. General Nealon, Bear Bryant, Vince Dooley, Steve Spurrier, Nick Saban, and Pat Dye. That's the list. So What a list, man. I mean, that, that that's a Hall of Fame list if there ever there was one. You know what? 
That's the that's the founding fathers of football, man. You know what I'm saying? That's what that's when I hear names like that. That's what I think of. And there wasn't an accidental name on that list. Coach Die, what do you have? Four SEC championships. Amazing coach. He he got Auburn back on the map because you. I a lot of people, you know, there may be a lot of people don't know this, but prior going into the 80s, Alabama owned that ass. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it was Coach Die who changed the culture there at Auburn. And, uh, you know, similar to the next coach we're going to talk about, these were just – these were guys that, that took troubled programs and got them right. So uh, I, a lot of people credit the national championship uh, to to Coach Die that, you know, that some of these players wouldn't even have thought about attending a, a place like Auburn if the, he didn't sound – if he didn't set the groundwork, you know, because not only was he a, a coach, he was an athletic director, you know. Yeah, and after his passing, you see – you know, modern day players like Marlon Davidson express, you know, how just how mm-hmm. much that coach meant to him. And I, again, that kind of goes back to what Car- I say. Carry on Johnson uh, said something the other day. Absolutely. I mean, the, it's, the, it's a long list, but imagine 30 years from now, how many players are going to be talking about the current coaches? Mm-hmm. I just don't think you're going to see much of it. So, no. Uh, before we move on to Johnny Majors, let's, uh, let's kick it to Gus Malzon on Pat Dye, and then we're going to play a little. A short tribute here for Pat Dye. And like Shane mentioned, they used to play the Iron Bowl in Birmingham. And like I said, Alabama had a big streak going on. And Pat Dye, after his first win in the Iron Bowl as Auburn's coach, you hear him in this clip say, you know, let's go back on the field. That's right after they beat Alabama. He didn't want to have the celebration in the locker room. He wanted to have it on the field with the Auburn fans in attendance. You know, I'd like to just start out uh, with Coach Dye, uh, you know, about his passing. And, you know, my heart goes out to Coach Dye and his family. Um, Coach Dye's impact uh, goes way beyond football. It goes way beyond Auburn. Um, You know, I really appreciate his friendship, uh, his wisdom, uh, his support. You know, he always seemed to have the right words for me, no matter whether things are good or bad. He was always – you know, there uh, encouraging me, and that means a lot to me. Um, you know, he was like a father figure to his players. Uh, you know, I was talking to Bo Jackson yesterday after he passed and just listened to, to the words that he was saying and how he was saying them and Ronnie Gardner and just talking about the father figure that, that he was for both those guys, and he was for all his players. And I think it says a lot when you see the tweets uh, from our – uh, current guys and the impact he made. And, and it was just always so special for me to have him around and, and be there at practice on the sideline and just give the encouraging words to all of our players. And, uh, you know, he was had a great football mind too and always just had the ability to ask him a certain question. And it was like he already was expecting me to ask him that question. He had the perfect answer. And, and I just really, that was really very special for me. And then you're talking about a guy that just loved Auburn. And that just always made a, a huge impact on me and a great example for an Auburn man. And, you know, we will continue to honor him, you know, and, and uh, he'll, he'll never be forgotten. And you mentioned um, he'd always have the right thing to say, whether it was a good, a good time or a bad time. Is there anything you can recall specifically? Maybe a, it was a tough time for you and, and he was able to help you or say something to you? Yeah, I just, you know, as a coach, you know, when you need people is when things are tough. And just going out to practice, which, you know, he'd come to practice a lot, and, and I really enjoyed that. And 
I'd go over there and talk to him. And it just seems like he always had the right thing to say, keep your head up. Hey, you're doing the right thing. We're close. Uh, man, this is a, you got a good football team. Just those things that probably only head coach to head coach can truly understand exactly what to say. But, uh, you know, the encouragement uh, was, was always there and, uh, and always consistent. And then, you know, uh, on the other end, so after you'd win a big game, you know, like after you win the Iron Bowl, I mean, like the words that he would just tell me one-on-one confidentially, like, And I'm confident that uh, with the support of the Auburn people, the alumni, the former players, the student body, the faculty, the administration, that we will be able to bring this great football tradition back to what it once was. There's going to be a lot of days when you lay your guts on the line and you come away empty-handed. Ain't a damn thing you can do about it but go back and lay them on the line again. And again, and again. In this monumental victory, ladies and gentlemen. What I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you, the ones that want to, I'm going to go back out there and thank our people. tough battles next year, year after year after year, individual battles with yourself. You won't have teammates with you. But if you just look back and think about that January the 2nd night in New Orleans, gain a little strength from it, it'll hit you down the road. But we're hung in there, we fought today. And we come back and stop them when we had to stop do you remember me standing right here and telling you when you became one that you'd know it? I mean, you know it now. It don't make any difference who's carrying the ball. It don't make any difference who's catching it, who's rushing the pass, or who's making the tackles, as long as you've got a blue jersey on. Right, so again, you know, very sad news, but uh, Johnny Majors now, I mean, my goodness, just when things can't get much worse, mm-hmm. legendary Tennessee coach on Wednesday, he had passed. It's interesting that uh, he won the national championship at Pitt and then, mm-hmm. you know, mama, gave up that ma- job. mama came calling and he came running yeah. back to Tennessee. That shows how much he loves his alma mater. Of course, he was an All-American at Tennessee runner-up the Heisman Trophy in 1956. He lost to a guy on Notre Dame who was 2-8, and eight, the, the only guy on a losing team to win the Heisman. So, I mean, he should have been a Heisman Trophy winner. There, I don't think there's any question about that. But we're talking another guy's won three SEC titles. And, you know, I know the ending wasn't how Tennessee fans will want to remember it, but he was the key reason that Tennessee's dominance in the 90s happened. He laid the groundwork. He set the foundation. And, you know, I was going over his list of uh, the coaching tree he had. Obviously, Philip Fulmer, but guys like David Cutcliffe, Jimmy Johnson, 
Dave Wanstead. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of people that worked under Coach Johnny Majors. And, you know, you really hear more and more about these guys after they after they passed, and you just you just realize the legend that, yeah. that just left us. Yeah, man. And this one, obviously, a little bit more near and dear to me, uh, you know, because I grew up a Majors fan. Um, I, I One of my favorite moments was uh, going to an orange and white game with my brother. And at the time, you know, and it's crazy because you don't realize how important some of these events are until you're like older and then you don't, you wish you would have soaked it in a little bit more. But uh, my grandfather, my papa took us up there and we, we met Johnny Majors, got our pictures made and he ended up blowing that picture up and then sending it back. to. I somehow got in contact with Johnny. Johnny wrote this real nice article uh, on, on this large photo and it hangs uh, over my uh, grandfather's TV to this day, you know. So, I mean, he was always and, – and now he – when he left, there was a little controversy with Phil, you know. And, mm-hmm. and if you talk to some of these old folks here in East Tennessee, there's a lot of folks that loved Johnny Majors and hated Philip Fulmer. I mean, it, I think it took a national championship to get a lot of these guys back on board with him. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? That's just – I mean, there was a lot of loyalty because – here you got a coach that won a national championship at Pitt that says, you know what, I'm going to my alma mater. I'm going to make Tennessee great again. Comes down, you know, it wasn't easy, but similar to Pat, you know, he he took a struggling university and, and got them on the right path, you know. I mean, I again, I, I think that we don't win a national championship if things didn't happen, if Johnny Majors never came to Tennessee, you know. So, um uh, that's who he is. Again, both these guys love their universities, and uh, I, I hate that he's gone because the, the the stories are starting to come out. I, I worked with a guy that played for Johnny Majors that was recruited, you know, and he, he'd always say, you know, Johnny was tough, you know. He, he ran a hard practice, but you know what? He'd do anything for his players, you know, and, and, and that showed in the fact that he was able to forgive – some of the staff and some of the boosters and come back and get near this university towards later years. That I think that was, I think that was picture perfect, you know? Yeah. And think about this, Johnny majors inducted into the college football hall of fame in 1987. And keep in mind, he coached until I think the 96 season. So yeah, imagine being in the Hall of Fame for nearly 10 years while you're still coaching. I mean, that's unheard of. <laughs> I don't even know if Nick Saban's in the College Football Hall of Fame right now. You know, like, you have to be a just an outstanding coach and player to get in there while you're still coaching, actively coaching. So, yeah. I mean, that that's just a further example of just the outstanding player, outstanding mm-hmm. coach, and ambassador Johnny Majors was from Tennessee, and we dug up another uh, tribute here for the Tennessee legend. I just thought this was outstanding. Of He didn't even think he was going to be good enough to play at the college level. Uh, this is really an outstanding uh, story told by Johnny Majors. And I came to Tennessee as a sophomore in high school, first time I saw him play in 1950. My mother took me to dad and me out before daylight, and we caught the Greyhound or Trailway bus, one or the other there before daylight, and we took the express bus. And i never forget, they let us out at Ellis and Ernest Drugstore, right on the stadium drive. My dad and I walked down, whole day, walked down to the stadium, and on the way down, we heard the crowd roar. Tennessee Stadium was big and impressive. 
and uh, I wanted to play big time football, but I didn't think I could. The next day, Farmer Johnson took my dad and me in to, to meet the general. Farmer Johnson introduced my dad, this is Coach Shirley Majors, and his son John, and we were recruiting. The general says, oh, how much do you weigh? And before I could say 155, which is about five pounds, Farmer Johnson said, 170, General. I never really thought I could play big time football, but I knew I, I, knew I was gonna give it a try. I had nightmares in the summer about, about coming to Tennessee. And my main objective at Tennessee, I didn't want I could stay alive or not, but I thought they'd kill me up here. First, I didn't think I'd survive the first scrimmage. And I was very, very anxious, I'd say scared, pretty well frightened, but I had to show up. I got banged around. I don't know how much, how many times, and how many people gang tackled me, but I, and then I, I made about a seven or eight yard run and one or two people missed me and I was breaking up field, running for my life, but I kept it against the varsity. I made one about 25 yards. I didn't make a touchdown, a long touchdown that day. When I made this 20 or five yard run or so, and about four or five people missed me, General always sat about 15 rows high in the west stands and he, most time he didn't have his shirt on in early fall. He had his army khaki shorts and he wore his coaching hat and he always had his he always had his stopwatch. When I made that one run, he yelled from the stadium, who's number 15? Farmer Johnson, defensive line coach, that's Majors from Huntland, General. Well, when the practice was over, I was pretty sore and I, I got dressed. I went to Ellis and Ernest Drugstore, they had a pay phone in the drugstore. Went up there, call collect. I didn't have 45 cents to make a long distance call. Call collect, and my dad answered the phone. That, that, that kind of gets me emotional too, but I said, Daddy, they missed tackles in college just like they did in high school. I was thrilled to death that they missed me. I was thrilled to be living. All right, so <laughs> I think that's, I just think that was great, and I thought that would be a good way to honor his legacy as well. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I I hate they're gone, Mike. I really do. Uh, but uh, they'll always be remembered. These two guys, they'll, they'll, they'll be talked about for, for years, man, for decades. Well, that's all the sad stuff we got, fortunately. You ready to go around the league? Yeah, I'm going to have to get another beer, Mike. <laughs> let's do it, man. <laughs> now let's go now around let's the go league. Around the league. Uh, my, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, let's start here on old Rocky Top. Balls are back. Before long, we'll be taking a bite out of everybody we play's ass. 
because we got uh, not well actually we do got a little bit of uh, interesting news here let's start with this one senior running back tim jordan arrested down in florida mm. had a gun on we're him back, baby That's we're a- back <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Not, not <laughs> he had a gun and some drugs on him. I think some weed on him. Not a crazy uh, amount or anything, but uh, you know, given these times away from campus, this has got to be a coach's worst nightmare. You got to you hope your players are doing the right thing. Obviously, Tim Jordan, not so, in this scenario. So, it, and this is going to be interesting because Tim Jordan was a name that a lot of People thought maybe not returning to Tennessee with the emergence of Eric Gray. We all know Ty Chandler, um, you know, how good he is. And Tennessee signed some running backs. You know, I, I'm not saying they should get rid of Tim Jordan because I think senior leadership is important, particularly a guy like Tim Jordan who has shown he can play at this level. So I certainly hope he can rebound from this and finish strong. I mean, I think he deserves that opportunity. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, because – Tennessee's on on somewhat of a numbers crunch here. They've got too many scholarships going into the season, so they're going to need some players to exit. And uh, this could be an opportunity to where, you know, they kind of have to let him loose for behavior off the field. It's a bad time to mess up, Mike. You know. Yeah. And it was so close. Uh, did this, is this one of those that happened months ago and it just now came up, or is this like right before this the... happened uh, over the weekend here? So Jeez. they knew so they he were was coming showing back. up on the second. <laughs> Maybe he's taking them somewhere. As anybody said, asked, you know, maybe he's getting rid of them. So he's just geez. as fired up as we are for the season. I think. Heck yeah, man! I I, I hate I hate to hear that. Like you know, you hear some of these coaches uh, like Saban talk about you know, so the, sometimes the best thing for these kids is to get back on campus. So I, I hope we don't just turn them loose, turn them away. I mean, we've got players on our team that's done a lot worse. You know, and I, I think I, I think they need to fight to keep him on there. And, you know, maybe being around his football family is what he needs right now. Absolutely. Hey, I'm a big, big believer in second chances. And I was yeah. staying on the theme of Tennessee. We just got to – we had to use this clip here. This is uh, Jeremy Pruitt. Now, obviously, this isn't uh, while he was Tennessee coach. This was when he was starting out his college career at Alabama under Nick Saban. He shared a recruiting story. Very first time getting out on the road, he's nervous. He wanted to do a good job, impress Coach Saban. Well, he sure as hell didn't do that. <laughs> In 2008, I was a player development coach at the University of Alabama. And we had a few guys on our staff that had opportunities to take other jobs. And Coach Saban uh, put me on the road to recruit. He sent me right there in Mobile. Uh, so in, in the Pensacola area. So Nico Johnson in Andalusia, Trent Richardson <clears throat> in Pensacola, A.J. McCarron there in Mobile, and D.J. Fluker there in Foley. So Coach Saban told me, he said, listen, Jeremy, he goes, we're in a really good spot with these guys. I want you to go down there, recruit them for this week. Uh, at the end of the week, I'm going to send uh, Coach Pendry and Coach McElwain down to do a home visit. Uh, with a couple of these guys. I just want you to report to me every night what's going on. So I go down there and I'm, 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 I'm feeling like I'm doing a great job. I'm calling Coach Saban every night. And, you know, he's asking me all these questions about A.J. McCarron. He goes, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Tennessee coming down and, and Lane Kiffin visiting A.J. McCarron. He goes, you know, is there any truth to that? And I'm like, nah, Coach. I, I sit outside his house every night. I watch. Nobody's coming in. 
So on Thursday of that week, Coach McElwain and Coach Pendry, they fly into Mobile. I pick them up and <clears throat> we're going straight to AJ's house. Uh, we pull up there into AJ's house and, uh, you know, I had the, the right address and um, the make of the vehicles were all the same that were there. And, you know, we knock on the door and um, knock several times and this little old lady comes to the door and uh, kind of shocks me there. And, <clears throat> and I'm thinking, this must be AJ's grandmother. And I said, is AJ here? And she said, who? I said, AJ McCarron. She said, no, baby, he lives four houses down that way. So uh, right then, I just, I, I had a lot of uh, anxiety thinking, oh my goodness, I've been watching the wrong house for a week. And Jim McElwain looked at me and said, great job, Pruitt. <laughs> Whoa. You, you had one job, <laughs> one job, Pruitt. <laughs> well, obviously we can laugh about this because we all know what an outstanding recruiter and coach Jeremy Pruitt is now. But, uh, you know, I don't think he was, this was one he was eager to tell back then. Obviously it worked out for all not only Jeremy Pruitt, but A.J. McCarron obviously went on to Alabama and uh, one of their most outstanding quarterbacks in recent history. But, my goodness, could you imagine, you know, your first, I don't want to say first day jitters, but uh, this is like first road jitters here, isn't it? Oh, man, all season long, you know Saban was riveted, man. <laughs> <laughs> I am kind of joking about this, but what do you think the career path of Jeremy Pruitt would have been if old A.J. McCarron you know, went and played for Lane Kiffin at Tennessee instead of coming to Alabama. I mean, I don't know if he would have lived this one down. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I think, I don't know, saving, I don't know. He demands perfection. Now, I, I think he gives these kids second chances, but I don't know about the staff, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Especially somebody that's not a, a huge contributor at the time, you know. I'm sure he was taking a shot and there was a few favors for, for uh, Coach Pruitt to be, even be on that staff, just the fact he's from down there, you know. <laughs> so uh, I, I think there was a few phone calls, but you're right, man. It could have gone a different way, but uh, this is a story you love to hear. I love to hear the behind the scenes, you know. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they get they feel comfortable enough to share these more often. But I'm glad <laughs> Coach Pruitt did in this scenario. I wonder if there are some like stories kind of like this that went the other way, Mike. You know, it's like who, <laughs> Coach who, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got caught with that money, giving the bag, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know who that guy is, so. <laughs> All right, next on the list, let's jump on down to Gainesville. Where this happened late last week. We haven't recorded since this happened, but uh, Miami transfer Lorenzo Lingard, running back transfer, former five-star recruit, in the, I believe it was the 2018 class, one of the highest rated running back prospects in the nation. You know, he's transferred into Florida and he announced he has been declared eligible for the upcoming season. This is outstanding news for the Gators, obviously. And it's compounded by the fact that uh, LaMichael P. Ryan, obviously off to the NFL. So Gators lacking a a little bit of depth at that running back position. They didn't sign a running back either, so they really needed to get Lingard eligible. Now, uh, I should note, you know, he played two years at Miami. Well, he really only played one year. He was on the team for two years. His first year cut short by a knee injury. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't really know what happened last year, but he didn't play that much. And I read there was some kind of, you know, behind-the-scenes drama with the coach, and that's probably – obviously why he left so 
Gators may not know what they're completely getting it, but anytime you get a five-star prospect like this, I mean, this is going to be a boost to your backfield. And if nothing else, I mean, Lingard should provide some quality depth for the Gators' backfield that uh, may need him here for the SEC season. Yeah, I think that's kind of what hindered him last year was the injury to what's-his-name. I mean, because, you know, when Tony went down, they didn't have a replacement. So I added competitive depth is what you want, and I think that's what's hindered Florida a little bit in the past. So, yeah, another another bot. Even if he doesn't play, man, he's still going to be practicing. He's still going to be giving that defense a tough time. So uh, when you have talent on the field, it, it makes everybody better. Yeah, and, you know, I don't necessarily think this kid's going to start and, you know, be the main running back all year or anything, but I got confidence in Dan Mullen to figure out what this kid can do in his system and just mm-hmm. kind of ask him to do that year one. And that may be all they need with the, given the fact they've got some other running backs coming back that carried the ball last year. Yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of Dan Mullen, he was a recent guest here on the Pat McAvee show. And you, you probably seen these headlines going around Dan Mullen's Predict an undefeated <laughs> season. It's not quite that bold, but uh, let's jump over to what Coach Dan Mullen had to say. And, of course, you should rec- recognize old Pat McAfee. He's an entertaining dude, but th- that's who's interviewing here with Coach Dan Mullen. Coach, uh, I assume you guys are going to go undefeated this year, yeah? Undefeated? You know what? I look at it. I don't, I don't, I, when I look at our schedule every year, I assume we are. I don't I mean, I guess it is. Like, I mean, if I looked at it that way and said, hey, boy, I don't see us winning that game, I guess I'd tell the coaches, hey, why don't you guys go home, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we're not going to win this one anyway. So, if, you know, this time of year, you assume you're going undefeated every year. I plan on winning every game we play. Uh, you're the best. Uh, we got to get out of here for radio. We'll see you on the other side. Hold on one second, Dan. We'll see you tomorrow, radio. You're the best humans on earth. Thanks for listening. All right, now we're on YouTube, Dan. All right, you could swear, by the way. I don't know if you're holding back any uh, any swears. Now, we're not FCC regulated. That is something to think about, though. Like, Joe Flacco will get asked, do you think you're an elite quarterback? And at that point, Joe Flacco is the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. What is he supposed to say? No, I am not an elite quarterback. And people are like, oh, Joe has no confidence, can't be a quarterback. And then somebody will say, do you think you're going to win this weekend? And you're on a team that is busting your ass. And they go, yeah, I think he's going to Well, he's guaranteeing a win. He's like, what, win. Yeah. what are you supposed to think? Well, you know what? Hey, it gives people if, – if we don't say stuff like that, nobody has anything to talk True. about all True. Day. Yeah, we appreciate right? that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> all right, so I, I enjoy this confidence from old uh, Dan Mullen, particularly since I'm picking Florida to win the East at the moment. But, uh, you know, I think this is the, the only answer to give, and, I you know, I credit Dan Mullen for not backing down from it. What answer would you want to hear? You know what I'm saying? I want, I want my coach, I want Pruitt to come out and say – we're going undefeated. Anything short of that is a disappointment. You know what I'm saying? Who goes into a season saying, you know, I hope we get five wins, you know? I hope we get eight wins. <laughs> nobody said nobody you don't want a head coach, especially at that level, to be thinking that. You want your head coach to be thinking they're gonna go undefeated, they're gonna win a natty. And uh that's that's the mentality I want my head ball coach having. Yeah, and I I think it just goes to the confidence that Dan Mullen has on his going into his third year because I do think, and I agree with what you're saying, you know, I'm not anticipating anyone saying, well, hell, I don't think we're going to be that good this year. But I think if you were to ask Nick Saban or Kirby Smart, I bet they would say, we're looking 
week one. You know, whoever yeah. the hell they're playing, they they give us that <laughs> BS. Like we gotta we gotta focus on Eastern Washington. You know, like get the fuck out of here. Like you're gonna beat them by <laughs> fifty points. You know, so yeah. I appreciate the fact that Dan Mullen is uh, kind of jumping out here saying, you know, I don't see anyone on the schedule that can beat us, and that's the way we're going into it. I love it. You know, and it was about this time last year we started having some shots back and forth with Kirby and uh, and Coach Mullen. Of course, we know how that, that worked out last season, but maybe <laughs> we're going to start seeing it here, you know. This is where the storylines are starting. All right, let's jump on down next to Oxford where – miss. Man, the saga down here in Mississippi just continues to take weird twists and turns and, uh, you know, I think on our last episode, we hinted at the fact Fabian Lovett looking like he was going to transfer from Mississippi State to Ole Miss. Jerry and Jones had already announced that, jumped from Mississippi State to Ole Miss. Now, all of a sudden, Fabian Lovett says, I'm going to Florida State. And about a day or two later, Jerry and Jones says, I'm going to Florida State too. So. <laughs> What's going on here, Mike? <laughs> There's a ton of speculation that uh, old Mississippi State kind of threw a fit here and said, you know, there's tampering being involved and we can't have this, and they went to the SEC. Now, I'm probably not going to be able to convince Mississippi State fans of anything other than that, but the way I understand it, it was neither – it wasn't Mississippi State that was raising a stink. It was Florida State. And I think, uh, you know, Fabian Lovett had already committed to Florida State, so they were kind of pissed off that he was considering leaving. And Jerry and Jones, I'm not sure how they really swung that, but I think it. Uh, there is a linebacker coach at Florida State who was at Mississippi State, so there's a, there is a connection there, uh, and maybe he just wanted to follow Fabian Lovett with him there. But I thought that was the one that was fascinating, that Jerry and Jones, after already announcing he was going to Ole Miss, has flipped it to Florida State. And, you know, I'm not, I'm a little concerned if I'm an old old Miss fan, because what this says to me is, you know, there may have been some kind of scandalous, you know, <laughs> recruiting going on here. We already kind of knew that by, you know, the reports coming out of Mississippi State and how upset they were. But to me, I'd be upset because this to me says the Ole Miss program is not willing to fight right now for Lane Kiffin. And it, it may not be anything again. I certainly, I don't think it has anything to do with Lane Kiffin. I think it has to do with the fact that they've had recent troubles with the NCAA under Hugh Freeze, and they're mm-hmm. just trying to stay clean and, and do all this. But you're just not going to win in the SEC if you're Ole Miss, if you're not willing to fight these battles for your head coach. Lane Kiffin is going to need all the help he can get, and we're letting two talented young players you know, walk right out the door to Florida State. Yes, they have left Mississippi State. So, I mean, that in a in a sense, that helps Ole Miss. But you obviously would much rather have those players on your roster. And I would have liked to see Ole Miss say to hell with, you know, whoever it was, the SEC, NCAA, come at us, prove it. Because these kids weren't going to turn over their phones. And right. the coaches weren't going to turn over their phones. And I know people always demand NCAA does stuff like this, but – they ain't the police, you know. They can't, they, mm-hmm. they can't confiscate these things. So, uh, I would have, I would have stood my ground if I was Ole Miss here, and I would have made him prove otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I, I could just see Lane Kiffin throwing his burner off the bridge right now. You know, <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> like too soon, man. You know, it's just. Uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think that just they 
somebody got back and probably, you know, probably didn't even contact this coaching staff, probably contacted the, the administration, uh, you know, straightforward, you know, just, and, and maybe that was a flag up and they just said, Hey, is it worth it? Is there, do, do we have anything to worry about? And if it was a, maybe, then I think they were saying, you know, just let, let, let them go. Let, you know, let them go to Florida state. Let, you know, I mm-hmm. just think, Sleeping dogs lie. That's kind of what the mentality they're having right now. But I'm with you. They got to. They they're gonna have to stick their neck out, man. Uh, there's gonna. I mean, because coach coach plays close to the gray, man, in the gray, and uh, that's what you're gonna need to become a, a, a dominant force in in miss in not just uh, in the state alone, but you know, in the West and the SEC. You, I mean, it's a it's it's an uphill battle. So you you can't you can't do that if you don't trust the people behind you. I particularly think that's the case starting out because Lane Kiffin is going to need the help. You know, once they get that thing rolling, recruiting's going to pick up. This will this won't be an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the hardest thing for these coaches is getting that ball rolling in the SEC. And we we've you know we've said it too many times. These first year coaches going to struggle without the off season. So I don't know. I I give them every advantage I can at this point. You ever, you ever babysit like, like your nephew, my cousin, Mm -hmm. you know, and he comes over, he's big, bad, you know, he's testing the limits. He wants to see how far he can go. And I think that's kind of what saving or not saving, but, uh, Kiffin's going to be doing down there. He's, he's stretching. He's going to see the boundaries. (laughs) And, uh, this, this may have been a line, you know, just like when you lay underground wired, you take your dog out, you got to show him where that wire's at. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So he he wants to hunt he wants to get recruits and he needs to know the boundaries. So maybe that's, that's, that's all this is, is growing pains, you know? Yeah. But sticking on that theme, you know, this is not hugely important. It's not going to devastate Ole Miss by any means, but uh, in-state, Three-star prospect MJ Daniels recently decommitted after getting offers from, I think Florida State and Oklahoma and, and some kind of big-time, bigger-time uh, schools. I think LSU, maybe a another SEC team's in on him. But following that news, Ole Miss does not have a single in-state commit in the 2021 mm. class. And I again, I know it's early; it doesn't really matter right now. It matters who you sign, but. My God, we're halfway through the cycle. And we don't have an in-state commit. This is, um, I mean, this is the start of a, of a warning flag. Uh, but Lane Kiffin is not totally down. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Lane Kiffin on Twitter is having a little back and forth with old Gus Duggerton. Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> old Gus Duggerton said he's going to uh, the SEC championship, going to play Ole Miss. And Lane Kiffin, you know, tweeted out about it, just having some fun. And a fan shot back, yeah, the only time Ole Miss makes it to Atlanta is in a video game. <laughs> and Lane Kiffin fired right back, not true, 2021, book your flights now. So, ooh, baby, I love that conference uh, from Lane Kiffin. So too. we're talking year two. That's the big year for SEC coaches. I know Kiffin just having some fun. You know, we're not necessarily going to hold that. But that's what you that's what you got to be, man. you got to be fun. You've got to be different. You know, nobody, 
People want to go to Alabama because they're winning all the time. People want to go to Georgia and Florida because they're winning all the time. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss is not winning all the time. The only only reason you see some of these teams pop up and become like Georgia's and Florida's and Alabama's is because they become fun, you know? Clemson 20 years ago was nobody, you know what I'm saying? Right. Nobody wanted to go to Clemson, but they became fun. And that's what Ole Miss has got to do. they gotta, they got to loosen up. I, I think they missed an opportunity when they had – you know, those studs down there at receiver with AJ and Metcalf, you know, just because they had an opportunity to be exciting and fun. But that's just something Coach Luke wasn't able to do. He wasn't able to make that university fun. I I think Lane can. You know, he's a trend he he could be a trendsetter and that's what they do. They gotta catch fire, then they gotta work on in state recruiting, then they gotta get some talent down there. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's that's the thing you hear with Nick Saban all the time. It's like he has to fight anti-recruiting saying that they don't have fun at Alabama. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine anyone's going to say, well, you won't have fun playing for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. <laughs> <You know what laughs> I mean? Yeah, exactly. You pull that card, you they know you're full of it. Exactly. All right, so next team on the docket, let's jump on down to Baton Rouge real quick. It's my honor to present the national championship trophy to Coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Not a ton of news here with the Tigers, but wanted to make this note because I just thought this was very interesting. Uh, For the first time ever, LSU has announced non-conference games against Southern in 2022 and Grambling in 2023. And, of course, those are two in-state programs. LSU typically does not play against in-state programs. And they're two black colleges. So these are teams that are elite at their level southern has claimed 11 college football national titles and scrambling has won 15 and we're talking mm. multi-team multi-time conference title teams and i just really want to credit lsu because you know you look at these schedules and i don't really understand why a lot of a lot of the schools in the sec have this where they don't want to play the in-state teams for some reason they'd rather hire you know a um, Eastern Washington or, or whoever. So you're paying these teams, obviously, to come play and you're help financing their sport. I think it would make a lot more sense if more SEC schools kind of did that for the in-state programs because the stronger you can make the state overall, I think the stronger that just makes your university as the flagship program because there's no chance in hell Southern or Grambling is ever going to compete with LSU for a recruit. You right. know, so it's like, I don't know. I, I just think you're, you're helping your neighbors. You're helping your state. And maybe after all this crazy year we've been having, maybe that's part of the reason LSU wanted to make these games. But uh, I just think it's an outstanding move. And, and hell, Southern and, and Grambling fans probably, you know, they're probably Tiger fans too, you know, because they're not in the yeah. same division. So it's got to be a real treat to see their team play in Death Valley finally after over 100 years of football. They're going to have a short drive here and, and play the in-state school. Yeah, I think I think this is a fantastic move. Strengthen your community, strengthen your programs. Your, you know, it's it, instead of giving money to other states, give it in-state. I mean, I, that makes perfect sense. I, I'd like to see more of this. You know, teams playing. You know, uh, 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 ETSU in Tennessee. You know, that was right. a, that was an awesome game. You know, and. Um, 
a little closer than I wanted it to be, but you know, <laughs> but you know, there's a chance, you know, these guys are going to make money. Uh, and like you said, a lot of them, you'll see, like, if you go to the game, like the ETSU in Tennessee, it was like both, they had both stickers. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times you'll see that around here. It's just, so I'm sure it's like that in LSU. You'll probably see uh Grambling state and LSU, you know? So I, I think this is a fantastic move. Absolutely. All right, next on the list, let's jump on down to Lexington, where we actually got some quotes from a player. I mean, this is outstanding. Oh. It's been a while, but uh, friend of the Cash pot. Dates. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Did you see that? Talking about Duggerton, he was talking. He was talking about uh, he just got pumped up because Stoops gave a, a speech to the guys. I guess they're playing Kentucky tomorrow today, if you're listening to us today, so. Uh oh. So yeah, <laughs> but he did it in like his wrestling voice. So watch your ankles, coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Cash Davis. We got comments here from Terry Wilson, and this comes uh, courtesy of a friend of the podcast, Nick Roush. Kentucky Sports Radio did a encourage uh, Kentucky fans to check out the full length, and he did about thirty minutes with them here. But just a quick clip of uh, Terry Wilson talking about Kentucky's offense coming into the year. Because uh, I, I think this is kind of an interesting comment that I that I really want to discuss with you. Yeah, and I, I think people are expecting big things from him this year. Alan Daly's done some <laughs> yeah. good things. There's a lot of guys who you're like, oh, man, I, I wish I could have seen Terry throw him the ball a little bit more. And I know that, yeah. <laughs> that you share like, that same hey, feeling. Yeah, I'm like, guys, me too. You know, I, I, you know the, the plan last year, you know, I wanted to get, you know, all of those guys the ball. Um, you know, that we were working so hard on that during, you know, summer camp and, you know, one-on-ones on our own time. Uh, you know, I just wanted to get the ball to them. You know, I just wanted to show everybody that, hey, like, I can throw the ball. I can get the ball to these guys, you know, and they can, you know, take the ball to the house. You know, they can catch it and make somebody miss and, and go score. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing that, you know, I'm ready to, you know, show, you know, and that this offense is really going to be explosive. It's not just talk. Well, I've seen a lot of seven and five predictions. They're, they're questioning mm-hmm. the passing game. Are those, is that, are those fair questions? Are those fair predictions? If they want to, <laughs> if they want to predict it, that, I mean, they can predict it however they want to, you know, we're going to continue working and we're just going to prove it, you know, whenever, whenever it's time, we're going to prove it. All right. So I've, you know, Kentucky, it seems like every year we're saying, well, they lost Benny Snell. Yeah. They lost Lynn Bowden. Now it's on Terry Wilson. I know he's going to have help. I mean, Josh Ali's a good receiver. They got a trio of running backs, and they should have one of the better offensive lines in the SEC. But they're just not going to do anything, in my opinion, in the SEC if Terry Wilson doesn't step up his game. And based on everyone we talked to from that state, from that area – they're anticipating Terry Wilson to be one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. And it seems like Kentucky people get fired up when you even suggest Terry Wilson is not going to be you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. So now's the time. I mean, it, it, it's enough. The time for talk is done. It's time for him to go out there and do it. And, you know, he may have done it last year had he not got injured. We'll never know. But I think it, Kentucky's offense only is going to go as far as Terry Wilson is able to carry him next year. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. He's clearly the captain of this team, and and it, it sounds to me like he's got full support up there. Like you said, there's a lot of anticipation that he's going to be a better 
quarterback, not just not just a runner. He's he's going to be he's been working on his fundamentals and that he is going to be prepared to be a dual threat and get this university where it needs to be. So um, I've kind of bought in, Mike. I, I've been you know I've been really high on Terry for a long long time, and uh, I, I'm I'm drinking the the big blue Kool Aid myself, <laughs> and I, I think he's going to come out and prove some of these naysayers wrong, and we're going to be sitting there week four or five, or maybe after that Florida game, saying you know what. Kentucky's got something here, man. Mm-hmm. All right, last thing on the docket here. Let's jump on down to Tuscaloosa real quick. Roll time! Where two players, two top 100 recruits, starting with receiver Tyrell Shavers and then linebacker Mikael Benton, both entered the NCAA transfer portal. Benton, you know, not a ton of – that's not a very big surprise. He had been suspended on and off never really lived up to the hype. Uh, neither one of these players, I don't want to say didn't live up to the hype, but maybe they just didn't get that opportunity, never made much of an impact. I don't think it's going to hurt Alabama losing either one of these guys, but two very talented players out there to be had in the transfer portal. So it'll be interesting to see where these guys land. I think they're both going to have big-time college offers uh, coming your, their way because that's that's also part of the going into the Alabama machine. You may not produce <laughs> there. But yeah. you know, similar to Joe Burrow, he made he was not able to produce at Ohio State. But going to a better situation for them, you know, may prove to be better for these guys. So it's going to be interesting to see where they land. But Alabama losing a little bit of depth at linebacker and receiver heading into uh, the start of training camp and all this. All right, so that's all I got on this one, uh, cousin Shane. You got anything before we hop off here? Well, buddy, we're we're within the hundred, you know. So you've seen the countdown every day. Uh, honestly, some it's my favorite part, Mike. It's 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 getting me juiced for football. I'm ready. Going through some of these games you forget about, you know, like that Arkansas Vandy game with Franklin and uh, one that hit today. Was it today that we were putting out the um, uh, LSU Mississippi State? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Dan, there we was on the sideline, had an opportunity to win that thing that came down the goal line stand. So, I mean, just some of these great games that you forget about. It's it's awesome, not to mention it's a freaking countdown, buddy. I, I know a lot of people are, are pessimistic out there. Not, not you and me, buddy. We know that college football is going to be here, and uh, it's only 93 days away. So I'm excited. Uh, to do that. I'm excited to, to get back on here and holler with you. And I appreciate all the work you did. And I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to us and uh, uh, like and review uh, on iTunes is very helpful. Five-star reviews, of course, get read online at the end of the week, Mike. Yeah. And speaking of optimism and reviews, we actually got one. I want to read it here. Shout out to Jimmy Dunnett wrote, uh, wrote us an email at that sec podcast at gmail.com. You know, not everybody listens through Apple, so they can't do it that way, but this is always a good way to reach out to us. Uh, he had a great note here. He just wanted to say, hey, wanted a quick note. Wanted to say, when Kurt Herbstreet predicted no college football, I believe that there was no way they would play this year. I continue to listen to your all's podcast, even though I had 100% lost all hope. But I am alive again. <laughs> and now I can't wait to send you a note for all your misplaced Florida love. Although JT Daniels got your attention, 
Keep bringing the good work. I appreciate it. Again, that's Jimmy Dunnett of Athens, Georgia. And P.S., you'll like this part, Shane. The bars are opening in Athens, 25% capacity. I only need one stew. (laughs) (laughs) So we appreciate you, Jimmy. I appreciate you, brother. Another one, uh, I I thought this was funny. I put on there, uh, we put a video. um, (laughs) It was a 19... Oh, what was it? Nineteen. It was the the year they won the national championship. No, no, no. This was eighty one. I can't remember. No, 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 no. Okay, I'm with you, Mike. Nineteen eighty one, Florida Georgia game. I think that's what this one was. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it was just these guys are flying around, man. If you go to our <laughs> our uh, Twitter page, that SEC podcast, we've posted. It's called. I just labeled it. Not a single flag. 80s ball was wild, and boy, was it ever. And I'm telling you, they took a damn hit. Uh, so Buck Blue uh, retweets this thing, and he says, yeah, that one hurt a little bit. <laughs> if you watch it, he gets hit by three Gators. They're all spearing. Uh, it would have been about 45 yards of penalties and two ejections and probably some fines there on these hits. And not a single flag was thrown. Uh, but I, I – I love it, and I wanted to read Jeremy Morris's comment because this was probably my favorite part. He says, I read this tweet as, not a single flag. Sound of Shane cracking open a cold one. 80s ball was wild, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how it happened. I sent him this uh, yesterday. I said, oh, my gosh, look at this. This was wild back in. So uh, I just thought that was funny, and I appreciate all the fan support, and I'm I'm rambling again. But I, I'm, I'm hoping that we have college football. We're about three months away, but uh, 93 days, man. I'll be counting. Yeah, and I can really sense that the fans are getting fired up, so keep that mm-hmm. feedback coming. If you like the show, you know, like we said, leave a review, but also uh, tell tell a friend about it because that's a really great way to spread the podcast. Just word of mouth. We're on any and all plot, uh, platforms out there, however you can get the podcast. So, just want to say thanks again for everybody listening, getting just fired up for college football is just around the corner. Uh, that's going to do it for this one. Thanks for joining me, Shane. As always, thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go balls. <laughs>